on the job with Francis Leach and Sally Rugg. It's On The Job, the podcast, all about making your working life better. Francis Leach here. G'day. Um, it's been a rough week. Uh, recovering from COVID, so probably not sounding so great. But we have kept up our promise to deliver a podcast for you this week. And it's an important conversation about young workers. And with an election on, often the plight and the needs of young workers gets lost in the conversation around who should be the next government. So we asked Felicity Saubutz from the Young Workers Centre to join us for a conversation here on The Job. Sally, we know the pandemic has been really, really rough on young people and young workers. You know, when people uh, first start working, they get excited about the possibility of starting a career, meeting new people, learning new skills, being challenged, earning some money, being out in the world. But for young workers in the last couple of years, none of that stuff has been happening. Unless you're a young worker who works in, you know, aged care or in hospitals or Um, You know, some of those frontline industries, you know, supermarkets, that sort of thing. Young people have been at home and, you know, if you're in one of the eastern states in particular. And um, our next guest will tell us a little bit more about this, but, you know, particularly for young people who make up so much of the retail and hospitality workforce, it's been a really quite a profound time for young people. It really has. And Felicity Sarbutz is here to talk to us about that. Felicity is the director of the Young Workers Centre and she joins us on the job. Hi, Felicity. How are you going? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the podcast. A tough couple of years. Does it feel from the uh, young people you're dealing with there at the Young Workers Centre that there's a sense of optimism returning for the way they see the world or is there still, uh, you know, a pretty <laughs> they're dragging a fairly heavy heart around? Yeah, sure. So we speak to lots of young workers day in, day out. And obviously, like you said, it's been a really tough couple of years for them in so many different ways, whether it be study or work or your home life. Um, There is a sense of optimism. I think there's been a lot of jobs um, advertised over the summer, but I guess there's also a sense still of fear and instability and I guess they feel like things have been stagnant and it's going to take a while to catch up or be back to where they were. There's definitely a nervousness and, and fear, that's for sure, because the world is looking slightly different to what it was a couple of years ago. These are young workers who maybe were just finishing their studies or partway through their studies and things that they had in mind and maybe not available to them at the moment or anymore. Felicity, have you heard from any of your members or sort of seen it out across industries, any examples of these sorts of conditions like for young people being so desperate to work, to regain their shifts, to get a foot in the door of an industry they're feeling behind on maybe. To me, it seems like that would be a ripe environment for exploitation. And I'm wondering, have you heard anything in that vein as we begin to open up? Yeah, so young workers who have you know, managed to get jobs in the last few months are often finding themselves in tricky situations. They're so excited to have got some work finally after having bits and bobs or nothing at all for a fair while. Um, but it, we are finding that 
they're overworked um, and understaffed in so many of the places that they are getting jobs, especially if they're working in hospitality or retail. And, you know, we're hearing stories of young workers who are working extraordinarily long hours. They're not taking their lunch breaks. Corners are being cut when it comes to health and safety, which obviously puts them in a pretty precarious position. Um, And they're also facing abusive customers from time to time who were perhaps expecting a different level of customer service or more choice in meals, for example. So yeah, there are young workers who are experiencing those sorts of conditions on the front line or in, um, in terms of customer-facing roles. And then I guess our word of warning to young workers more generally is to make sure that their rights at work are you know, correct and are proper and that employers shouldn't be using COVID-19 and a pandemic as an excuse for exploiting them. You know, we're really keen to make sure that obviously that young workers are getting their legal minimum legal entitlements at the very, very least. Um, that should be a starting point, not a, not a, you know, a privilege. And Sally did mention that those that were working throughout the pandemic were often in high-risk environments, whether they're in hospitals, aged care facilities, or in retail environments or service environments exposed to COVID-19 and that must have taken a lot of uh, emotional energy and also bravery in a sense to keep running up to work every day knowing that you're exposing uh, yourself to the possibility of getting sick. What's your read on the the wider implications for young workers from that experience of two years of, you know, being in harm's way? So for young workers, there is a high risk of contracting COVID-19 at work for so many of them. And, you know, not just contracting it, but also spreading the virus. And those especially that are in industries like hospitality or retail or warehousing or delivery services. And, you know, that causes a, a level of fear and nervousness. It's also really worrying for those workers who don't have secure jobs that are maybe precarious, that are casual workers. They can't necessarily afford to take time off if they feel sick. And that's nerve wracking for them and for their co-workers in the broader community as well if they are having to make those tough decisions about whether to turn up to work or not. Um, And I guess the other issue is, you know, a lack of availability of free rapid antigen tests. A rapid antigen test is about $20. But for a young worker, that can be an hour's wage. If you're testing multiple times a week because you're not sure whether you're well enough to be at work or not, that really adds up. You know, it's small change to Scott Morrison, but for a young worker, it can be an hour's wage. Minimum wage is $20.33 an hour. So pretty much the cost of a rapid antigen test. You know, Scott Morrison said that some people can afford rapid antigen tests and some people can't. And you know, more often than not, a young worker is one of those that can't. Mm. I mean, in Scott Morrison's defence there, like, it's not a incorrect statement. He Like, he's correct. Some people can afford it and some people can't afford it. It was sort of like after that sentence where the deviation (laughs) happened, I think. So young people are like at higher risk of contracting COVID-19 at work by virtue of the types of jobs they largely do. They're overworked and understaffed. What else is going on? How, How is it going for people who are in sort of training or apprenticeships? How's that been for jobs outside of the industries we were just talking about. 
So work has obviously been massively impacted for so many young workers, but so has training, so has education, um, whether it's apprenticeships or placements not being completed, for instance. Um, So apprentices have been laid off in pretty big numbers. We know from previous recessions, so 1980s, 1990s recessions, shows that when, uh, you know, there's an amplified relationship between the unemployment rate and those apprenticeship and traineeship figures. So for instance, for every 5% that unemployment rate increases, that's a 30% decrease in apprenticeships and traineeship commencements. So that's really impacting young workers who might have left school over the last couple of years and have been thinking about going into an apprenticeship or a traineeship or those that were already enrolled and partway through and have been laid off from their job as well. So that's not only impacting individuals, cohorts of young workers who are not probably working in a career and industry that they had their heart set on and were planning on being in for decades, but it's also going to potentially you know, lead to a skills shortage as well. So I guess it's twofold in that sense, but there's yeah a whole cohort of young workers whose education has been online or not happening at all, and that's obviously impacts apprenticeships and traineeships as well, especially if they've been laid off during that time. Can we talk a bit about uh, secure work and the gig economy? Young people are in this trap, and the trap is that the traditional financial systems that might actually help you get a start in life, whether it's getting a bank loan or buying a house, God forbid how difficult that is, but those sorts of things that people used to be able to expect that if I have a job and I can save some money, then I can go and get a loan. I can save and buy a house. But in the gig economy, you can't do those things because you don't have the consistency of income. You can't show your bank, for instance, that you have a full-time job, so you're not going to get that loan. You're not going to accumulate super at the rate that's going to provide you a secure future at the other end of your working life. Is it something that young people are consciously aware of that they are being cut out of secure work? Because many of them have grown up knowing not much else other than the gig economy. How do we shift that mindset for young people who you probably don't even know or have never had a secure, permanent job? Yeah, you're right. There's people who, you know, are in their late 20s who have never had a secure job, people into their 30s who have never had a secure job, and they sadly don't often know any different. COVID-19 has obviously only exacerbated that. The pandemic's pushed so many young workers into gig work, insecure, casualized work, more so than ever before. I think it's about us showing a vision of what a good secure job is and being a part of those conversations when workers do find themselves in strife at work to make sure that we're explaining to them, you know, what the minimum legal entitlements they should be getting and what could be different in their life if those circumstances were different. You know, we know that a good job is a basis to so many other things. It's a really tricky one. And I guess for so many young workers right now, they're just trying to get through the next three months or the next six months. It's really hard for them to even comprehend right now being able to afford a house or like long-term plans. They're not used to right now making long-term plans. They're just used to getting through the next, you know, paying the next rent or buying their uni textbooks or whatever it is. So I think that'll be a bit of a healing process, to be honest. <laughs> Something that I have heard anecdotally is that Gen Z, so these are the young, young workers, have been, like they do a lot of proliferation of sort of socialist memes like there seems to be a 
popularization via the internet of workers' rights memes and like socialist theory memes, I guess. And I wondered if you have like heard anything from the young workers you represent that shows that that sort of online discourse is translating to actually, you know, joining their union or or challenging their bosses at all. Mm. Look, what I would say is that from talking to young workers and young activists, people are ready for change. They're ready to take action. And whether that's online, whether it's digitally or, you know, when it's safe to do so in the street or on campuses or in local communities, I think people are looking for an outlet. They're looking to get involved in something and feel a part of something. And clearly in the last year to two years, I found that somewhat online um, and found that community creating those memes and so on. But I think now they're ready to translate that and put that into action. So that's exciting that people are ready to do something and I guess, you know, make real change. So hopefully the means translate to, you know, action on the ground too. And being available to join a union. I mean, there are so many barriers for union membership, and we know this as unionists, that uh, over the last 25, 30 years, uh, right of entry to workplaces, uh, the deduction of uh, union dues from, from wages, all these things are little barriers that have made it harder and harder for organisers to speak to workers. And I guess the isolation felicity as well would have been a big issue too because people are working, uh, those that were working alone or at home or in isolated environments don't get to have these conversations about the fact that a union uh, membership might improve their lot of work. So it's been extremely challenging, I'd imagine, for people such as yourself at the Young Workers Centre to try to harness that energy that you and Sally just talked about and turn that into a collective action through unionism. But it's so important that we do, isn't it? Yeah. And what I would say is that we spoke earlier about so many young workers never having had a secure job. And it's terrible that they've had these experiences over the last couple of years, but it does mean that workers have seen the difference between what it means if you have a secure job and good conditions um, and a, a union member, a union that's backing you in, as opposed to being you know thrown to the street and having to fight for anything individually. Like they have seen the difference that that can make when you act as a collective and you've got a good secure job. And if there's any positive, I hope that it means that, you know, having these conversations with young workers about what it means to be union, what it means to have a good secure job, we've got something real and pointed to talk to them and use as a case study because it's never been more important. So, Felicity, just to wind up, people who do want to see change, other than joining your union, we've got an election coming up. How prominent do you think young workers' issues are going to be in that election and what should people do if they're they're passionate about the issue and they, they want to be all in on trying to affect change? Yeah, definitely. I think it's up to young workers to make sure their voices are heard. I think it's up to campaign organisations to obviously be making young worker issues front and centre of what we're talking about and what conversations we're having this election period. I would really encourage any young worker to make sure their enrolment details are up to date. You know, the last election, federal election was in 2019, almost three years ago. Um, A lot has changed since then. Many people's situations have changed. People have moved home or to a different house. I think it's really important that they check their enrollment details are up to date. It's you know, almost five years since the marriage equality uh, survey and that we saw a big surge in young people enrolling to vote then. You know, there's been 
almost five years of people turning 18 since then and they really need to make sure their enrollment details are up to date and they're enrolled in the first place to make sure that they can have their say at the next election. And if they want to find out more information, they can go to www.youngworkers.org.au. Felicity Sauerbach, Director of the Young Workers Centre, thank you for being back with us on The Job. Thank you. This is On The Job with Francis Leach and Sally Rudd. Felicity Sauerbach's there from the Young Workers Centre talking to us about the needs of young workers as we head into the guts of this election campaign. Uh, That's it for this week's edition of On The Job. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to give us a rating on whatever platform you're listening to us on and uh, we'll catch you for next week's edition of On The Job. Bye for now.